Good evening. Grab your seat. Tonight, our speaker is a really good friend of mine. Um, we worked together when I was in London for three years. Um, and he's one of my favorite communicators that the church has to offer. His name's Fernando. Um, can we give a round of applause for Fernando as we get him up? <laughs> Fernando spoke this morning. Uh, it is amazing. So good. And um, I love hanging out with you. So Aww. thanks for being here. Let me pray for you. And then uh, you can start. Jesus, I thank you so much for the word that you've given Fernando to share with us tonight. And I pray that as he speaks, would he also be blessed by um, the way we receive it? And uh, Lord, I pray our minds and our hearts would be open to hearing your spirit's prompting tonight, uh, your spirit's challenge and your spirit's comfort and conviction. And I pray that each one of us would, uh, re would leave this place having been changed by, um, by what your word has to do tonight. Mm. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Well, hello, Penny Lane. <laughs> it's so wonderful to get to be with you here today. As Alex said, my name is Fernando. I'm on the team at HTB. I'm one of the curates there. And I got to work with Alex and learn from him over three years. And it was a huge, huge privilege. So it's such an honor to get to be here with all of you and get to see what God's been doing here in Liverpool. I must say, uh, when I get these opportunities to, to speak, it still always kind of shocks me. Because I didn't grow up in church. My, my family are not Christian. I was born in Miami. Um, both my parents were drug addicts and criminals. I was born in a prison, actually, in, in Miami. When I, when, when, when I was born, I had to be obviously taken out of the prison. I was taking, the person who took care of me was a close family friend of my, my mum. But when my mum came out of prison, she was so unwell that she couldn't take care of me. So my grandmother, who lived here in London, brought me over from America, brought me to London, and, and I got to grow up around my, my, my extended family, all of which were incredibly strong women, um, which was amazing, but terrifying at the same time. Um, all my family are either going in or coming out of recovery, so growing up was, was quite difficult. There was no male role models in my family. There's not a single marriage in my entire family. And my mom ended up coming back from America. I think I was about eight, and she was just starting to rebuild her life. So the main person that took care of me was my grandmother. She unfortunately passed away when I was 14, and, and I just started going downhill so quickly. Uh, I left school when I was 16, and let's just say I didn't leave school in the best of ways. By the age of 17, I found myself in a young offender's prison in Huntercombe, and I was just a complete mess. I came out of prison, and I just got more and more involved in drugs and crime. But really, what I was trying to do was, was fill a void in my heart. I was just longing to, to be loved. I was trying to do and use all these things to try and fill that void, but nothing could ever fill it. I was destroying my life and the life of everyone around me. In my worst state, I would probably stay up about five days at a time without eating or sleeping, slowly just killing myself. At the age of 19, I remember I was in South London in a place called Vauxhall, and it was in this drug den. And I knew it was a drug den because all my friends bought and sold drugs in there. And I remember this day so clearly. One of the drug dealers came in and 
and he spoke to me in a way he'd never spoken to me before. He looked at me and he said, Fernando, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And to this day, I still don't quite understand how that works. I don't know if you've ever been to a drug den in southeast London, but <laughs> drug dealers don't normally try to evangelize the people in those places. You can ask Alex the theological answer to that later. But, but, but in that moment, it was like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like I, I just knew that, that this God was inviting me into a, a whole new life. After that moment, I reached out to help, and uh, my family at that time, um, some of them, their lives had been changed. My mom had started going to church by that point, and she, she sent me to rehab. So I went to a rehab center in Bogota, Colombia for about four months. And in that place, because I was away from drugs and the life that I had in London, I could just read the Bible for about 10 hours a day, and, and I could see that the Lord started to really transform and heal my heart. But the moment I came back to London, I relapsed the first day. But I started going to church. I went to this Latin American church which, which loved me and welcomed me in. And as much as I wanted to, to love and serve God, I found it almost impossible. It was like I was taking one step forward and 10 steps back every single day. I would relapse on a Thursday and Friday and Saturday and turn up to church on Sunday. A complete mess. I'm probably smelling. But they still loved me. They welcomed me in. Until one moment, we went to this weekend away. I know the students just came back from weekend away. How was that? So good. So good. <laughs> um, we, in the Latin American church that I went to, we didn't call it a weekend away, though. It was called a fire encounter. Um, I did propose to HTB to see if we could kind of bring in a fire encounter. They weren't, they weren't too keen on the name for some reason, not entirely sure. Maybe we could start that in Liverpool, I don't know. Um, but I, was, I went to one of these fire encounters, one of these weekend aways, and I was just at the back, and I was saying, saying to God, God, I really want to do this, but I, I feel like it's impossible. I can't let go of these things. And, and I really didn't want to go back to London the same. And one of the pastors came and just laid a hand on my shoulder and began to pray for me. And as they prayed for me, I... This has never happened since, but I heard the audible voice of God. And he just said to me, Fernando, I will love you no matter what you do. And almost in that moment, it was like when I was in that drug den all those years ago, I felt like Jesus was inviting me again into a whole new life. And as I heard those words, I felt almost like the love of God Feel every part of my heart, every part of my soul, every part of my being. And my life was never the same again. So what I want to talk to us about today is the greatest invitation anyone could receive. What's the greatest invitation you've ever received? How does it feel when you got that invitation to go out with that person you fancied for the first time? Or maybe you got the invitation to be promoted and be in that meeting that you thought would um, give you so much life. Or when you're invited to go on that holiday. Funnily enough, last year I was talking to a friend of mine and they were saying we should go on holiday. And I was like, let's go on holiday. 
And as we started speaking about it, this friend of mine had really big ideas. They were like, we should go to America. I was like, okay, cool. They were like, we should go to many places in America. I started to get a bit afraid because I could see in the back of my mind the, prices, the price of this holiday going up. They were like, we should go to New York, we should go to Texas, we should go to California. And you know, you don't want to kind of pull away straight away, so I kind of kept the conversation going, hoping that it would just fizzle out eventually. But they kept on talking about it. And I started to get afraid because I knew I couldn't afford to go on such a trip. But before I knew it, this friend of mine had, had bought all the flights, paid for all the hotels, and I think, Wow, that was an amazing invitation that they took me on. But there are some people who have been invited to be on television. There are some people who have got the invitation to be on a show called Countdown. <laughs> what a brilliant invitation that might be. Um, but today I want to talk to you about an even greater invitation than any of those. Today I want to talk to you about the invitation that Jesus offers you and me to heal our hearts and satisfy the longing of our souls. If you go with me to John chapter 7, we're just going to continue in our series. And we're just going to look at two verses today, if that's okay. And we're going to look at John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. If you follow along with me, the Apostle John writes, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the greatest invitation anyone could receive. But as I looked at that passage, I thought, there are some prerequisites that Jesus offers uh, as he gives this invitation. So let's look at those first, and then we're going to look at the gift that the invitation has for us. The first prerequisite is to be thirsty. Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up, he cried out, and he said these words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's important to understand why Jesus was given this invitation and, and where he was when this was taking place. That, that, that verse where it says, the last day of the feast, the great day, the, the festival, the feast that he was at was, was the feast of, of tabernacles or the festival of tabernacles, also known as Sukkot, which is celebrated between late September and early October. And, and the reason why it's important to, to look at these, these festivals is because they all point towards Jesus. Jesus was a fulfillment of of all those festivals. And this festival in particular was celebrated because of, they, they wanted to remember God's presence and provision for Israel during their time in the wilderness. And, and it's important for us to understand what was taking place during this feast and during this festival. Well, everybody would gather in the temple. The priests, the Levites, the people, they'll start in the temple and they'll go about a mile down to the pool of Siloam. They'll fill up pitchers with water. They'll come back to the temple. They'll, they'll have trumpets, and they'll be crying out, Oh, Lord, save us. 
they would go around the, the altar three times as trumpets would blast for six days, and they would pour the water onto the altar. But on the last day of the feast, on this day that Jesus stood up, something else happens. On the last day of the feast, um, this day is actually called Hoshana Rabbah. Can we all say that together? Hoshana Rabbah. And this literally means, O Lord, save us. So the last day of the feast is, is actually is called Hoshana Rabbah, which is called, O Lord, save us. For six days, they will do three circles around the altar with three trumpet blasts. But on this last day, everybody would process to the pool of Siloam, fill up the pitchers with water, come back to the altar. But this time, they will do seven circles around the altar and, and seven trumpet blasts as everyone would cry out, Hoshana Rabbah, O Lord, save us, O Lord, save us. And as the chants would get louder and louder, as the trumpet blasts would get louder and louder, what does the Apostle John say? Jesus stood up. Sometimes when we read that verse, it can, we, we can kind of, I think it's quite difficult to picture the scene. But let's just try and picture that for a moment. 400, 500 people walking down to the temple, musicians, trumpets, priests, Levites, doing circles around the altar. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of them crying out, oh Lord, save us, oh Lord, save us, Jesus stands up. And, and the Apostle John writes, he cries out. Imagine Jesus in the middle of that procession, crying out over and above the trumpets, over and above the chanting, and saying, if any of you thirst, come to me and drink. What was Jesus doing there? He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the one who delivered them out of the wilderness, and he was claiming to be the Messiah who had come to deliver them in that moment. And that's why the Pharisees hated Jesus, because he claimed to be God, and everyone knew what he meant. Imagine the courage of Jesus to stand up in the midst of all the Jewish authorities to say that he was the Messiah that they had been crying out for. He was the reason that festival was celebrated for all those years. And he was with them in that moment. I love what the author and theologian C.S. Lewis writes about the claims that Jesus makes. He says this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he'd be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. I think for some of us today, you must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, was and is the Messiah that came to save us, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. The first prerequisite to receive this invitation that Jesus has for all of us is to be thirsty. I wanted to ask you a question. Have any of you ever been like really, really thirsty? What's a time when you've ever been thirsty? Does anybody want to just shout a time when you've been so thirsty that you think you, you're literally going to die? You can shout one out. It's okay. 
After Domino's. Funnily enough, there's so much salt in that, isn't it? What else? Any others? Come on. After a marathon. Well, come on. All right. What was your time? Go on. Three, well, after my three-hour marathon. Um, one more. Walking up? Yeah. Oh, no water. And the water they sell is like 10 pounds a, a, a small bottle. Jesus was saying, if any of you thirst. I remember one time when I was unbelievably thirsty. I was in Nigeria. A few friends and I went to open some water wells in northeast Nigeria near Yola. And, and we were not in a village. We were not in a city. We were not even, uh, we, we were in a completely remote location in, in a mountainous region. Um, and the people there were lovely. They taught us how to hunt, so we hunted a chicken. Um, they, they taught us how to wash the chicken, so we were sort of trying to wash the chicken in, in the water that was brown. Um, I don't think we did it properly, because that, we, and we ate that chicken eventually. Um, that night, something happened. Um, a few of us started to projectile vomit from both sides. And we couldn't sleep all night. Every time we tried to eat something or drink something, it was like we would just be sick again. Then it got to 5 o'clock in the morning. And what happens in that area at 5 o'clock in the morning? Well, they have a prayer meeting every single day. One of the most powerful prayer meetings I've ever been to in my entire life. They gather into this dark room. They don't have Bibles, really. They don't have lights. They don't have instruments. But the, the, the songs that they sing, they sing songs of gratitude to the Lord. They sing thank you. They sing, thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Thank you, Lord, for all you've provided for us. After the prayer meeting, they show us the mountain which we're about to climb. And here's a picture of that mountain. Bear in mind, we haven't eaten. We haven't slept. We haven't drank any water. And it's now 7.30 in the morning and 45 degrees outside. I, I, I'll tell you, we were thirsty. But, but, but Jesus here is is not talking about a physical thirst. He's talking here about a spiritual thirst. If you're to receive the invitation that Jesus has for you to transform your life, to, to help you step into the purpose and calling he's given you, to heal you from the inside out, we need to realize that in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. We need to come to the end of ourselves and say, I can't live this life on my own anymore. I'm empty. We have to come to the realization that the things that we've trusted in, relationships, money, prestige, glory, drugs or sex or gambling, all the things that we've tried to fill the void in our soul, it doesn't satisfy. You can keep trying to fill your life with all those things for the rest of your life, but you'll miss out on the gift that God has for you. We all have to come to the point when we say, I'm at the end of myself. And maybe you're in that place today, and nobody knows. You're desperately trying to survive, keep things going, keep the show on the road. But you know that that void is destroying you. Well, there's good news. Because it's only when we're thirsty that we can be filled. It's only when we're thirsty 
that we can come to Jesus and drink. It's only, and it's only when we're thirsty that he can give us the spirit that fills our hearts and fills our soul. So the first prerequisite is to be thirsty. Are you here and are you thirsty? Because you can be filled today. The second prerequisite is to believe. Jesus said this. In the middle of the procession, remember, he stands up. They're chanting. They've got the trumpets going. He says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And then he says this. For whoever believes in me. What does that mean? What he was saying to them. Believe that I'm the Messiah. Believe that I'm the one who's come to save you. Believe that I'm the one who's come to pay for your sin. Because what Jesus came to do was, was that he came to die on the cross to forgive you and forgive me for, for all our sin, our past, present, and future sin. And, and sin is, is actually so serious in the eyes of God, so serious that the apostle Paul writes that the consequences of it is death. And you might say, well, um, well, I'm a good person. You might be, but you've still sinned. And the Apostle Paul writes that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But what Jesus does is that he comes and he dies in our place to forgive us and to give us new life. And I think believing in Jesus just doesn't happen once. It doesn't happen the day we say, okay, Jesus, I'll let you come into my life and take a lead, forgive me. Believing in Jesus means trusting him with every area of our lives. Believing in Jesus is saying, Jesus, I trust your ways for my life better than I trust my own. I want you to take the lead in every area of my life. And it can be scary. It can be scary to live a life of faith, trusting in Jesus. But I love what St. Augustine writes about believing. He says this, Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. So I guess the question today is, do you believe in Jesus? Is Jesus just somebody that you have on your Sunday afternoon from 6 till 7.30? Or is Jesus taking first place in every area of your life? This is the key to being a disciple. Jesus doesn't just call us to be followers. Jesus just doesn't call us to be onlookers. Jesus calls us to be disciples fully committed, fully devoted followers of him, fully devoted disciples. And if you're to be a disciple for Jesus, it means going all in. I think what he might be asking of some of us today is 100% devotion. Is there an area of your life where you know that there are still idols that take first place in your life? You trust in your work, or you trust in your reputation, or you trust in your money, or you trust in your goals, or you trust in... your success. 
I think that today Jesus is saying, I want you to believe and trust in me, in and above everything else. Those are the two prerequisites, to be thirsty and to believe. And this is what takes place when people choose to say, in and of myself I can do nothing. I need you, Jesus. Today I choose to believe and go all in. We become more. Jesus says this, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Because when we're thirsty and when we believe in Jesus, something powerful happens. We become more. Did you know that you have a God-given purpose? You have a God-given destiny. You have unique skills and abilities and gifts that God has given you for you to, make a, for you to be a force for good in the world. But the only people who couldn't receive what Jesus had to offer were those who thought they had it all together, were those who didn't want to believe. The Jewish leaders were all in front of Jesus, crying out for the Messiah, and they missed him because they weren't thirsty. They didn't want to believe. They thought they had it all together. And nobody ever met Jesus in the New Testament who was thirsty and who wanted to believe and whose life wasn't transformed. Jesus reached out to those who were overlooked. He reached out to the sinners, to prostitutes, to tax collectors. Who did he reach out to? He reached out to the thirsty. He healed them. He set them free, and he used them to be a force for good in the world. And the term living water was relevant to the Jewish people who were listening because they had the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea simply has water going in, but nothing going out, and Jesus doesn't want us to be dead seas. He wants us to be vessels of living water, with water going in and water going out. Living water is active, it's moving, it's got life to it. And Jesus wants your life to have meaning. He wants you to partner with him and make a difference in the life of those around you. Today in the worship, as I, uh, as I was singing, I, I was breaking down because like, I, I, just, I don't deserve to be here. Like, my life was such a mess. And for some reason, Jesus reached out to me. He put my life back together like we were singing. Who would have ever known that eight years later, after this drug dealer finding me in this drug den, I would get to be in St. Paul's Cathedral, looking up at the ceiling, thinking, how on earth did I get here? As the bishop would call me forward to get ordained into the Church of England. And even moments like this, when I get to come and, and speak, I realize of the faithfulness of God, who's never let me down. And as I was worshiping today, I realized that, that there are people here today that the Lord is going to release into unique ministries. I have a sense that, that for some of you, 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 you've had a call and a purpose spoken into your life that the enemies try to steal. Some of you as, as evangelists, some of you as missionaries, some of you as teachers, some of you I think that the Lord has given 
gifts to operate in, in the spiritual gifts, gifts of healing, in prophetic words, in words of wisdom. But it, it's almost been, been held like something's taken place where you haven't fully been able to step into it. And I had such a strong sense from the Lord that I feel that today's the day that many of us are going to be released into those callings. Because I think this is the greatest invitation that anyone could receive that Jesus has to offer you and to me. It's the life he's called you into, to heal your soul, to give you life, and to give you purpose. But the question is, are you thirsty? Are you here today and are you able to say, God, in and of myself, I can't do this anymore. Even if you've been a Christian for a while, are you able to be completely dependent on Jesus? Are you able to believe? Are you able today to say, Jesus, I welcome you into every area of my life and I ask you to take the lead today in a way that you've never done it before? Because I really do believe if you'll, if, if you'll stand and, and do that today, Jesus will release you to become more, more of who's he, who he's already called you to be to step into those callings that he's given you to make an impact in the world and in the lives of those around you. I even think that this week the Lord was giving some of the people in this room a dream as to what their life would look like. And you even said, I, I don't think it would be possible for me to do that. Maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you, you feel like you're, you, you've done something that, that, that would derail you from fulfilling that. And I just felt, I, I felt like I heard the Lord say today that he's about to restore everything that the enemy tried to steal from you, like it says in Joel. Everything that the swarm and locust has eaten, he's going to return to you.